For 20 months, I've been going out repeatedly into the English Channel uh, and along Kent's beaches, trying to get the country, trying to get the media, trying to get our politicians and our leaders to wake up to what was inevitable. And what was inevitable is that the numbers that would come to this country would rapidly increase. And I've been right about that all the way through. But I've also, ever since I first started doing this, said that at some point there would be a major mass tragedy. You simply can't have inflatable boats going through some of the busiest shipping lanes in the world without, at some point, a collision or a major tragedy. Over the course of the last three weeks, eight migrants have died. Not that you'd know it, because there's been almost no reporting of that story anywhere apart from here on GB News, where we've led with all of this. Today, I was out before first light in the English Channel, once again, trying to find out what was happening, how things were changing. Uh, and I produced this report. And when you look at it, just think about the ominous words that were spoken by myself and by the skipper, Andy King, of the boat, just moments before this first mass tragedy. Here we are, English Channel. <laughs> you know, it's cold, it's horrible. The sea is OK. Um, several incidents today. We've just come across this one. There's 22 on this. Uh, they've come from Iraq, Iran. Uh, there's one child on board that I can see, two women, mostly men. And that's about the right ratio. It's about 90% men. Uh, so far today, there's 100 already come into Dover. We're told of multiple incidents as we speak of Dungeness. So, you know, again, whatever happens today, it's going to be several hundred people. Uh, the boats, you can see, are much sturdier. Uh, than the previous ones we saw in the summer. This is not one of the really big ones, but be, be assured of one thing. They're going to keep coming throughout the whole of the winter. And, Mark, I wonder, does, does, does Pretty Patel ever come out here? Uh, I don't know if she's actually been out. She certainly visited uh, those Border Force staff down at Dover who are having to handle uh, all of these people who have been brought across in such significant numbers now that they're having to build a new processing centre for them in Dover itself. Now, they, they're here, the engine's off. I don't know if they've switched the engine off yes. because we've arrived here and they're hoping for help. That's something yes. so that what, they often do. As we approach, we could see that the engine was moving. As they saw us approach, they've cut the engine off because they feel that help is close at hand. We've now called in Coast Guard Border Force and they'll be out to collect them. But at the moment, there are no Border Force assets. We haven't really got the facilities to take people We're near on. the Varn Lightship, and where we are, actually, is quite a bit away from where we're hearing border forces, where we're hearing that the lifeboats are tasked yeah. at the moment dealing with other incidents. So it could be quite a while before are, they actually yeah. get out here. There are no free assets at this moment in time. Everything out there is engaged, the lifeboats, border force. And quite what they're going to do next summer when the numbers that come, unless something is done, will be in multiples of this, I just don't know. But this is the number one issue in British politics. You know, thousands of people coming in just this month alone. They've all got to be rehoused somewhere in the country. Uh, there's no returns policy agreed with France. No sign, actually, that the government has got the guts to, to, to just do returns to France, which I think is the only way through this. And it's not just costing us a fortune but it's actually posing a genuine threat to national security. And uh, no wonder support in this government is falling as sharply as it is.
So the traffickers say, when you're met by a boat, turn the engine off immediately, because that then means that it, that it turns into a search and rescue mission. Well, that's all well and good. However, we've, had, we've got the shipping lanes. If you look just behind me here, major ships passing very, very close to us. So it's a pretty perilous thing to turn the engine off when you're in this position. And I've been amazed over the last 20 months or so that I've been really been following this closely. There's not been a major you know, collision in the lanes. The biggest risk now, I think, is hypothermia. Uh, these people took off at 6 o'clock this morning, they told us. Uh, with the wind direction as it was earlier on, it was rougher earlier on, they would have taken water on board before they were 100 yards off the shore. So we've now been alongside for about 40 minutes. The skipper of this boat has called Coast Guard to say one of the kids is very, very cold. We have chucked a blanket over onto the boat um, and, you know, help is needed. Extraordinarily, it appears that almost all of Border Force, as I speak, are tied up at their moorings in Dover. So we're now waiting for the RNLI to come and do the pickup. Pretty Patel, Border Force is not fit for purpose. The Home Office is not fit for purpose. And frankly, I don't think you're fit for purpose either. Definitely getting worse. I've seen it progressively get worse over the last. I don't know, the last 12 months has really gone gone quite bad, like, you know, more coming in. And, I mean, they're, they're obviously we're up more than 25,000 so far this year. Yeah. And I think the change, we noticed it a bit last year, but definitely this year, even in the, as we're in heading to the winter months now, with worse weather, there's still coming across, the, the people smugglers are still pushing them out. Yeah, they seem to be taking more and more risks now, don't they? I mean, a load of the colder weather's here, but they just doesn't seem to be deterring them whatsoever. How concerned are you about the potential for a large-scale tragedy here? Very. It's not a question of um, if it happens, it's going to be when it happens. It is going to happen, though, you know, there's no two ways about it. You're convinced of that? Yeah, I am, yeah, definitely. I know how it can be changeable out here in no time. So the reason the helicopters come is we've reported a young child, very cold. They told us she was cold. We, we sent a blanket. We've now been here for about 50 minutes, and there's no sign of border force. They're tied up in the harbour. RNLI can't get to us quickly. So they're sending a helicopter to assess the situation to see whether this kid needs to be winched off. I mean, it's just extraordinary. Border force, it doesn't work. as you see the helicopter circling round our boat. The lifeboat is just reaching the migrants now as well, Nigel. Yes. The, the yes. Dover lifeboat, 1709, uh, just coming up to that boat. Uh, not, the, not the smallest of migrant boats, but still, you know, a, a fairly small and flimsy yeah, vessel, about I mean, I mean, eight metres long. Uh, that, seven, I would seven, say. Yeah. I mean, the bigger ones are 11, yeah. and the rumours are there are ones up to 20 metres long that will yeah. be coming next year. Um, yeah, you know, and, and they will obviously be very pleased to get in somewhere nice and warm. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, the burden on the lifeboat crew, the cost of all of this that is going on every day is enormous. And, you know, we've been listening to the channels this morning. I mean, this is 
this is constant work for the ferries, for commercial vessels to try and avoid these craft. Mercifully to date, no major collisions, but it's only a matter of time. We're back in Dover Harbour, pleased to say that Hurricane, one of the Border Force boats, has just gone back out, so they're clearly off their lunch break. Uh, quite why, when we needed somebody, they weren't about, I don't know. The lifeboat that picked up the group that we found, with 22 of them, hasn't come back in. Why? Because they found yet another boat, at least one other boat, and Border Force, it seems, are now being scrambled all over the place. So even though it's only half past 12 and we're back in, uh, it's pretty obvious this is going to be going on for the whole of the afternoon. I thought earlier on it might be a quiet day, two or three hundred. It's going to be much, much bigger than that. And here we see Border Force um, heading out. So they're now sending out some serious assets. There's obviously a lot happening in the channel right now. And there's no sign of an end to it. They don't look... Uh, they don't look particularly pleased to see GB News, but they've given us a wave, which is nice of them. <laughs> um, look, you know, this is a major crisis, the number one issue in British politics. I've tried for over 20 months to highlight this, to get something done. And I think GB News, since it's launched as a channel, has completely dominated this space. We've led the way with this story. The other media are constantly playing catch-up with us, but at least now they are playing catch-up. Well, within an hour or two of us saying it was only a matter of time and it would happen very soon, uh, a major incident took place. It was just over the line in the French side of the English Channel, though uh, British assets were scrambled to go and help. Uh, we understand the death toll to be 31, uh, with two of those that have been recovered who are still alive in hospital in France. Uh, this is now, I think an emergency situation. And at last, the Prime Minister, who has said very little about this over the course of the last couple of years, the Prime Minister has held a COBRA meeting today. After it, this is what he had to say. I just want to say that I'm shocked and appalled and deeply saddened by the loss of life at, at sea in the, in the channel. Um, I think that the, the details are, are still coming in, but uh, more than 20 people have have lost their lives, as, as, as you know. And my, my thoughts and sympathies are, first of all, with the, the victims and, and their families. And uh, it's a, an appalling thing that they, have, uh, that they have suffered. But I also want to say that this disaster underscores how dangerous it is to cross the Channel in this way. Well, one thing I must say, where I disagreed strongly with the Prime Minister, I wasn't shocked at all. Surprised, to be honest, that it didn't happen earlier. Do you think at home that this should now be declared an emergency situation? Please give me your thoughts. GBviews at gbnews.uk or you can tweet at gbnews. Now, our Home Affairs editor, Mark White, who was with me on the boat today, is still there in Dover Harbour. Mark, um, 31 appears to be the final number, do we think? 
I'm told that this search and rescue operation is still underway, though, as you know, Nigel, the chances of pulling anyone from that freezing water alive now uh, are non-existent. But they are still searching for other people potentially in the water. And it is not just a French maritime operation, but British maritime assets involved in that as well. We're told that at least one child is among the dead. So utterly tragic circumstances. You're talking about whether this should be declared an emergency. I think it is, Nigel, in all but name an emergency, given especially that the Prime Minister chaired a meeting of the crisis cabinet, that emergency cabinet, COBRA, to discuss exactly what they are going to do next. There will be intense pressure now, not just on the UK government, but on the French government. And I think Boris Johnston, uh, Johnson, ju judging from his statements uh, after that COBRA meeting, uh, is hoping that the French might be a bit more malleable in terms of allowing more UK authorities over and onto the beaches of France, which is one of the proposals that the British government has put forward that so far has been rejected by the French to swarm those beaches with more personnel to stop those boats leaving in the first place. He has said that he doesn't think uh, the French in particular have treated the issue in quite the way that it deserves to be treated. So clear where he is putting some of the blame, at least, uh, whether the French will be a bit more amenia, uh, amenable now to allowing the British to help their uh, authority, their forces, their police officers and uh, their border agents on these beaches. Well, we'll have to wait and see, but they will be under intense pressure. It happened in French waters uh, and they have been criticised for not stopping these boats leaving their beaches in the first place. Well, this is the first real tragedy, 31 so far confirmed dead. Yes, and those big boats, and I understand it was one of the 11-metre boats, uh, their capacity, of course, is much bigger uh, than the numbers we're currently talking about. I don't want to speculate. Uh, Mark, nine of those large boats came into Dungeness. Uh, the total numbers today look like seven or 800, and we know the next time it's calm, it's going to happen again. Mark, any more breaking news, please come back to us in the programme. Now, joining me now is former Royal Navy officer, Rear Admiral Chris Parry. Chris, good evening. Good evening, Nigel. Well, were you shocked by what happened, or like me, did you feel it was just a matter of time? Well, we've spoken about this before, Nigel. Um, of course, I was shocked. I mean, people have died here, uh, and that's uh, incredibly tragic, and it affects all of us. Um, was I surprised? No. Um, I think uh, all of us who spend our lives at sea know the risks. The tragedy is that most of the people who get onto these boats don't know the risks. They're not explained to them, and they're exposed to these risks every time they go out there. Yeah, and I mean, now that we've had this major tragedy, uh, we will actually get governments promising uh, rather more resolutely to do something, um, and it puts pressure on Macron, not just on Boris Johnson. Um, what are your suggestions with dealing with this? Oh, I mean, I've made a series of suggestions for about the last two years, uh, none of which have been taken up. Um, I think the first thing we have to put in place is a humanitarian crisis situation. We have to accept that the Channel, if this were happening on land, it would be dealt with in a totally different way. The fact it's at sea, 
uh, seems to think that people seem to think that it's out of sight, out of mind. Uh, we have to have a joint task force between us and the French to declare that this is a danger zone. Uh, and the activities that are going on here are the responsibility of both governments. Uh, let's uh, be honest about this. You know, the French have not got control of their territorial seas. Uh, they are not actually patrolling sufficiently well to stop these boats going in the water. Uh, and we have to actually hold them to account. The surveillance uh, devices do exist to be able to tell when these people are preparing and then getting into the water. Uh, they need to be intercepted. Resources need to be allocated. Uh, but as I said to the Home Office, I think probably 15 months ago, uh, the Romans had this right. They had a channel command that dealt with things like this that was based in Boulogne, and that uh, command was responsible for both sides of the channel for security, for safety, and everything else. We can replicate that. It's very easy to do. Uh, it just needs a bit of cooperation between neighbours and allies. So the argument, Chris, is that with the right resources and with the right technology, although I do understand there are some privacy concerns in France about using drones in particular. But your argument is, with all the right resources, we can actually physically stop these boats taking off from French beaches. Yeah, I think the privacy thing is almost irrelevant, Nigel, because we can do the surveillance from inside our own territorial seas. The, the technology exists with unmanned, persistent technologies to be able to look into France from a distance, to tell you the truth. We can tell them exactly what's going on, uh, and uh, the French can do something about it should they choose to do so. Uh, but I think we've got to stop uh, using mealy-mouthed political phrases now. Um, we've had a tragedy. More tragedies will happen. Uh, all the other bad consequences of people getting into boats and coming into our country uh, will continue into the new year. And as I said, unless we properly control and patrol every activity that goes on in the channel, uh, this is going to continue uh, and we'll be held to account for it. Well, Chris, maybe you're right, but what about, what about uh, when people enter this country or when we, pick that, when we pick up those boats in the channel, why don't we simply return them to France? Well, Nigel, you, you and I know uh, as well as anybody that the law currently doesn't allow that, both international law and national law, so we have to change national law if we're going to do that. That's yep. a job for our politicians to, to yep. sort out. But there are practical ways. Remember, these people have to be taken to a place of safety. I've been saying for some time now we should be using receiving ships uh, where we process people offshore in international waters and see whether they are entitled to come to this country. Uh, and that would be a simple step. Um, they don't have to come to this country. They have to go to a place of safety. It's as simple as that. Uh, and I think more and more we've got to put procedural uh, uh, steps in place that mean that we don't keep bringing them to the country directly. We have to agree with France that if they are the country that is sending them, that's where they go back to. It's as simple as that. Uh, and uh, if the French can't act as uh, friendly neighbours, uh, then we have to take some action in regard to the political processes in France that affect them as well. Chris Parry, thank you as ever for coming on and discussing this subject. I'm sure we're going to talk again soon because I don't see what's happened today, frankly, as being a deterrent. Thank you. Now, your reactions to this. Scarlett on Twitter says it has been a national emergency for over a year with little positive action by government. Well, almost none, frankly. Colette on Twitter says, yes, the smugglers are smuggling them in now in larger inflated boats, which can burst, collapse and overturn in high winds. 
and people are making thousands from the misery. No, that is very inaccurate and wrong. Uh, the gangs, on a really, really calm week, are making many millions of euros. You know, one of those big boats, one of those big boats can be worth probably three to four hundred thousand euros. Just one of those boats. We don't know the circumstances of this boat, and it sounds like it was capsized or turned over. Was it a collision in the shipping lanes? Was it that these boats that are built for one journey only, and I've inspected them, that have, you know, sort of balsa wood boards glued into the bottom, is it that one of the boats simply disintegrated? We don't know. I guess we'll find that out tomorrow. David on GB View says this can be laid squarely at the feet of Boris, Pretty and Macron due to their inactions in sorting this situation out in the first place. Brian on Twitter says, this was always going to happen. Now the government set up meetings. This is all far too late. I agree with you. We should have been... Uh, you know, this was inevitable to anybody that understood the English Channel. Robert says, illegal immigrants welcomed at Dover are never returned to place of origin. Therefore, migrants should be encouraged and allowed to use the safer and cheaper method of entering the UK by boarding a ferry at Calais or Dunkirk. In a moment, we will talk to Anne Widdicombe. We'll get her reaction to what has happened in the English Channel today. We will also talk to her about the funeral services of her very good friend, Sir David Amos. I'll also ask her, as somebody who's been involved and watched Conservative politics for many, many decades, how she assesses Boris Johnson's current position as leader of the party. We now understand that French police have made four arrests in connection with the tragedy that happened in the English Channel today. 31 people have been confirmed as having died, uh, but search and rescue missions are continuing. We do not know how many others are missing. We know that two people that have been picked up have survived and are now in a French hospital. Well, joining me to talk about this and all of the big events of this week is former Conservative Member of Parliament, former Brexit Party MEP, Anne Widdicombe. Anne, good evening. Good evening. Your reaction to what's happened in the English Channel today? Well, obviously, it is shocking. Um, but on the other hand, uh, I, like you, I think this was always going to happen. It's been a tragedy that's been pending for a very long time. Um, and it's all very well to talk about declaring this as an emergency situation. We've had an emergency now um, for a, a very long time indeed. Uh, and I've been saying for 20 years that the only way we're going to be able to deal with this is to remove the magnet that draws people here when they're already in a perfectly safe country. Uh, and that magnet is that uh, people think that if they get into Britain, they're very, very unlikely to be removed. I mean, after all, if you're in a perfectly safe country like France and you're genuinely fleeing persecution, uh, then the logical thing to do is to apply for asylum in France. Uh, but for many years now, it's nothing new about this. The channel crossings are newish, but there's nothing new about the principle. Um, for many years now, uh, people have been trying in places like St. Gat um, to get into Britain unlawfully uh, rather than uh, to apply for asylum where they are. So you've got to ask what the magnet is. And the magnet is that people reckon that once they get here, it's one of the easiest countries in the West to disappear if they think their claims are going to be turned down. 
Uh, we don't practice detention. We have no national identity cards. We do have a flourishing black economy. It's very, very easy to disappear. Yes, it is. And even if you do go through the process of applying for asylum and get rejected, as was the case with the Liverpool bomber, um, even when, you're, when you get rejected, you don't get removed. So you're absolutely right about that magnet. And I just would invite you to say a few words. I know it was the funeral services this week of Sir David Amos, who was a very good friend of yours. And, and I know that you spoke on behalf of the family at the funeral. Uh, yes, I did. Uh, there were two events. There was a civic service in Southend, uh, where I simply read out a statement on behalf of the family, uh, saying that they were shattered, and the exact words of uh, Julia, the widow, uh, were that uh, the family was broken, uh, but also saying that they wanted good to, to come from it, um, and that uh, uh, they wanted peace uh, and greater tolerance to come from it. And yesterday, I felt very strongly, because yesterday was the actual funeral in Westminster Cathedral, uh, I felt very strongly that we should all try and ensure that David is not just remembered for the way he died, but that he'll be remembered for the way he lived and for what he achieved in his lifetime. If I can draw an analogy, Nigel, think of Airy Neve. If you say Airy Neve, everybody immediately thinks, oh, yes, he was the MP who was blown up by the IRA yeah. in the House yeah. of Commons car park. In fact, he'd made the first home run from Colditz. He'd played a major part... Uh, in the war crimes trials. He was a very big man, but all anybody thinks about is how he died. I don't want that to happen for David. No, understandable. And thank you for sharing those thoughts with us. Now, you have been observing and involved in Conservative Party politics and Conservative thinking for quite a number of years. And you've watched Conservative leaders come and go, and you've praised some and you've damned others. How does Boris Johnson now look as a leader, and how do you assess his position? Is he in control of his own parliamentary party? Can he bounce back? How do you see it, Anne? I think he may well be able to bounce back, because that is part of being Boris. Boris bounces. Uh, but if you look back to the original Boris, to the Boris who became prime minister, uh, who was so confident in what he was doing, um, was so buccaneering, if you like, prepared to take risks, uh, that he ordered all those vaccines, you know, way, way ahead of the EU, got Britain into a really good position of being ahead of everybody else, took maximum advantage of Brexit to be able to do that. Uh, and uh, that was Boris going for it. And the big thing is he actually ordered so many of those vaccines before they were even approved. I mean, this was Boris, Boris at his determined best. But I think getting COVID actually had a much greater effect on him than, than people realise. He now appears to be all over the place. Um, that buccaneering uh, attitude has gone. Uh, and one feels that instead of being in charge of events, he's now being blown about by events. Yeah, I, I have to say, I rather agree with that. It's sort of almost more like followership than it is leadership. I wondered, when he shuffled his notes and said, forgive me three times... A couple of years ago, he'd have laughed that off. And I, I just wondered whether perhaps he might have just lost his confidence a little bit. I'm sure he has lost his confidence, and I'm pretty certain also that it was down to COVID. Um, and, uh, you know, so he was suddenly hit by this massive national emergency that nobody had foreseen, a global emergency for that matter. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I think he was quite badly knocked off course. Uh, and I think his confidence has taken a knock. Now, as I say, Bar Boris... Is very, very capable of bouncing back, but he's in trouble at the moment. 
And yep. I think this is a time for thinking. And I don't think enough thought uh, uh, comes out of number 10. Uh, for example, the migrant situation that we talked about, you know, that all you get is umpteen initiatives announced, which are never actually followed through. None of them happen. And a tendency to blame everybody else except ourselves. Well, we're responsible for who arrives on our shores. Come on. Yeah, no, and we're the magnet. And as you said at the very start of this, thank you, Van Whittacombe, for joining us and sharing your thoughts with us here at GB News today. Thank you. Now, one story that did cheer me up today by What the Farage moment. How about this? The head teacher of Britain's most expensive school has quit, quit her job after a woke race row was sparked by a group of parents. Yes, in a 12-page letter, Robin Appleby from the American School in London was accused of indoctrinating children because they believe every subject from art to literature to history is now being taught through a prism of race or gender. The letter also alleged that a recent decision to create racially segregated after-school clubs in which pupils mix solely... You can't believe this stuff, can you? Pupils mix solely with people of the same ethnicity was illegal as it breaches the Equality Act. A parent's fight back. The silent majority fights back against the woke mob. Well done to those parents for standing up. It's a really good, strong, happy story on a day when perhaps we need some of that. Now, in a moment, the GB News pub will open. And joining me on Talking Pints, the queen of clean, somebody who likes a very good verbal argument. Wish me luck, please, with Kim Woodburn. We're just delaying Talking Pints for a moment because we're going straight back to Dover Docks for some breaking news with our Home Affairs editor, Mark White. Mark. Uh, as far as this operation in the channel is concerned, it is continuing into the evening. Now, a separate rescue operation, we're told. The Dover lifeboat has just launched Nigel to head out to Sandetti Bay, which worked uh, Sandetti Bank, I should say, which is not far from that tragic incident earlier in the day. Now, they have had reports of people in the water. It is, we're told, a separate incident that Dover lifeboat is going to. It's just on the French side uh, of the channel. Uh, French maritime assets en route. Dover lifeboat going to help as well. Now, they have received apparently 999 calls relating to this incident. Uh, the one uh, caveat to put in there, of course, is we know, Nigel, that uh, there, are, there is a pattern of people smugglers urging migrants to put 999 calls in uh, to the Coast Guard to ensure that they get picked up. Uh, but we don't know if it's this or whether there is a legitimate concern. The authorities can never do anything other than uh, treat it with an abundance of caution and head to that, given, of course, what has happened just a few hours ago, not far from this very spot. So that rescue operation underway at Sandetti Bank, not too far from where that boat capsized just a few hours before. Reports, as I say, Nigel, of some people in the water. And at the very least, it shows you what. We're coming up to almost 8 o'clock in the evening now, and still the boats are coming across the channel. Mark, thank you. Uh, a very 
disturbing report, and I'm sure uh, that Mark White's going to be there right through the night uh, reporting in for GB News. Uh, we'll now take a minute break and come back with Talking Pipes. Did a boat capsule? The pub is open. I'm joined by the Queen of Clean, Kim Woodburn. Hello, how are you? Welcome to Talking Thank Pines. Thank you very much. Very good to see you here. Now, I know that you like a good sort of verbal punch-up with people, I so... I don't know what you mean by that remark. Well, I mean, I I'm think... a delicate flower, you know Yes, yeah, I don't quite buy into that. <laughs> um, I, I, of course, have been quite well-known for having good uh, You're no wilting flower, my lovely. I'm not, I'm not. But I'm, <laughs> and I won't say I'm scared of you, but I'm just going to be a little bit wary... That'll do me. <laughs> Cheers, anyway. Thank Cheers, you. anyway. Thank you so much. Mm. Thanks for having me. No, not at all. And a day with some pretty rotten, rotten news. Yes, um, I've heard. It's, it's terribly sad. It's pretty awful. Terribly, terribly sad. Yeah, and from what we heard, maybe even more happening yes. as we speak. Um, we'll find out as the evening goes on. Now, Kim, extraordinary. This, this fame, this celebrity, this TV stardom... But it all, it, it, it doesn't come quickly, does it? It doesn't... No, I was 61, and I was living in a big mansion and uh, cleaning for the sh a shake, a lovely band, actually, and I got a phone call from the domestic agency that had placed me there. Mm -hmm. And she said, the television company have called up, they want to do a cleaning show. And um, she said, you are the best cleaner on my books. You're the... I said, oh, thank you. She said, will you, will you go and see them? And I said, oh, don't be daft. I'm 61, dear. She said, don't be... Don't, you, you be... Anyway, long story short, I went to see them. And um, within a week, they said, do a series for us. And uh, told me all about it and this, that and the other. And the rest, I mean, is literally history. I started filming in 2003 yep. uh, in February. And by June, I was famous. And I used to go down the road and think, hello, Kim. Like, well, they mean me. Um, but uh, do you know what I do think, Nigel, seriously? I'm glad I got it late in life because I don't half appreciate it. That's I've never got used to making all this money. Oh, I love it, dear. And I've got a nice house I own, no mortgage, I've got to own the car, no HP, <laughs> and own the bedding, a thousand cotton. Um, thank you ever so much. And the dark part about it is, everybody knows me. I mean, I've yeah. come on the train today, and they can have you... And I think... I mean, I'm 79 now, so I'm 80 next March. And I think, how long is this madness going on? But I do like it. And it's been going on for a long time. I I mean, we're pushing 20 years now. Yes, and been... I haven't done a series uh, since 2009. I've done appearances in The Jungle and on, um, you know, Big Brother yeah. and so on. But really, I haven't done much. And yet, people know me. I mean, I go to the supermarket and people say, oh, I remember, oh, and they'll always say, oh, Big Brother, the experience in there was terrible. And they'll say, yes. they were rotten to you. And I think, yeah, they were, actually. Well, yeah, you did punch back at them, though, didn't you? But, Nigel, I'm going to tell you something. Yes, I did. I can't deny that. But, by God, they asked for it. And I warned them. Now, now I said, look... So, I, a warning from Kim is a warning. But yeah. I did say, look, I haven't come here to row with you. I don't want trouble. If you keep giving me trouble, I'm going to crucify you. So I did. Well, they were warned, and, yeah. But, but this is remarkable. So you've had nearly 20 years, and, and you're now sort of famous for being famous. Do you know what? It, it's mad, cos I don't do anything. I live an extremely quiet life. I'm very much just hubby and I. Uh, love each other's company, have no kids, love being with my spouse. It's lovely. Uh, quiet life in my house. And yet, um, 
Well, the other day, now I tell you, the sign at the end of my road is filthy. The sign... Oh, right. So I thought, I'm not having it. No. So I took a bucket of water and soap, but a fair, you see. And I live on a main road, you see. Posh house, posh house, mind you. It's a three-storey, dear, yes. So I go out, don't know. I thought, I'm not having that dirty sign. Pay my... And I'm cleaning it. And the lorries are going by. Gay Kim, do you want to come up here, Maslow? But it's funny, it's lovely. And when you hear a lot of people on telly, you, but you're very famous, you're a very famous man, but when you hear people on television say, um, oh, do you know, I get so sick of people pestering me, and then why don't you give all the money to charity that you've made yep. and shut your gob or get on with it, because it goes with the territory. And I'll tell you, I was on a plane once, I was doing a series, right, and suddenly first class, well, they paid, I didn't. And the captain came out, and I thought, that's the captain of the plane. So he said, oh, hello, Kim. He said, I hope you don't mind. He said, he said, my children love you in that show. So I'm the captain. I said, who's riding this plane? He said, oh, we're all right. He said, do you mind if I have a photograph taken with you? And I, I was about 60. Well, I've been doing it for three years, so I was 64, and I thought, Kim, girl, you've made it. Mm. Kim, girl, the mm. captain's come out. And I've never got over it, and I'm ever so and, grateful. And it's all the most extraordinarily marked contrast to the early years. Oh, of your life, which I don't want to dwell on too much. No, it was I'm, a sad time. And I'm sure you don't want to dwell on too much. Many people have had sad times, Yeah, that was one of them. But gosh, God's been kind, hasn't he? It's, it's not bad, my love. But I mean, when you write a book, you know, the story of my brutal childhood... It's, yeah, it, it it's, was. It, and it was. So where does the cleaning thing... Did, did, it, did, did it come from necessity it in did. terms of making money? Or? Yes. I was almost 16 <coughs> and I had nowhere to go. I was out of a home. No, Mum and Dad were awful. And I thought, now, I've got to now get a job working to make some money, but I've got to get accommodation. Well, in those days, you couldn't go as a, a little girl of 15, 16, no education, and just get a good job that would cover getting a flat. You mm. couldn't have done that. So I thought, now, what can I do where I can get accommodation? Right, I thought, I love cleaning. I've always been clean at school. Everything had to be clean, a desk. Is that sort of OCD-type stuff? or, I or I'm not, Am I being unkind? I think you are. My grandma was spotless, bless her. Bless right. her. Got it from Grandma. So I thought, what job can I do that will get me accommodation? So you had a chambermaid in a hotel that lived in. You had a cleaner in a house that lived in. And I thought, I've got to do one or the other, my love. I've got to do one because I'm, I'm, I'm going on the streets. So I got a job in Waterpark Road, Prenton, <laughs> cleaning for a family called the Hisslops. That's a terrible name, the Hisslops. Sound like a peapot to me. Poor people. And there was the two boys, Peter and Anthony, and this woman, she was terribly partial. She used to call me Pitt. You see, my real name's Patricia, but she was so partial, it was Pitt, you see. And she used to, I couldn't eat at their table. Oh, it was the slave days then. Yeah, I'm talking a long time ago. <coughs> and she was, and she cooked, because I can't cook for a peanut. Oh, no, I mean... Really? No, I can't cook. I'm a cleaner. I can't cook. You'd starve. You, you know, you'd starve. So I, I, she, I, she cooked the meal. And I, I used to take in, I was a bit embarrassed, actually. i take these big tubs in and put them on the table where they all dined. And she said, I'll bring you all shortly, Pitt. I'm not going to say what I thought secretly, but I was doing a hand signal, but I'm not going to do it here. No, please. Anyway, I sat in this scullery. No, I'm not exaggerating, honestly. A little scullery off the laundry. And she would mince across the carpet. She said, there you are, Pitt. And she'd chosen what I was going to have, and she'd throw it down and throw it in front of you. Enjoy, you know. And I used to think, and I, even though I needed the money and I had nowhere to go, mm. I thought, why is she cheating me so badly? I am cleaning her house, and I'm respectful to her. I look over Anthony and Peter, wash all their clothes, but you still talk down to terribly, terribly. Mm. And I thought, shut your gob, Kim. You've got to have accommodation. So I did that for months on end until I got something else.
Well, it, 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 as you say, I mean, 61, suddenly it all happens and you become famous. And I want to ask you about, you know, cleanliness and presentation and people taking a pride in things. You take a pride in things, you wouldn't have gone to clean that road sign if you didn't. When you look at the state of litter on our streets, the way people just chuck, you know, fast food wrappers out of cars. Uh, I mean, what's going you see, on? Nigel, I are we losing our self-respect? Yes, we are. We are disgusting. Uh, not everybody, and don't think I'm saying that. A lot of us are quite disgusting individuals. I go back, what, 79, yeah, 79. So I know when I was about 10 or 11, we lived two up and two down rented house, poor folk. You never saw anything thrown on the pavement. You saw cigarette ends in, in the gutter. All the men put them in the gutter. Yeah. But you never saw... We were poor, but we were taught we just didn't put rubbish on the streets. So how do we get this back in? How do we inculcate this in young people now? Well, I think, I think we've absolutely got, for want of a better word, we've gone down the tubes, haven't we? I want to see a time... I don't think I will in my lifetime. I wish I would, but I won't, my love. I'm knocking on. I want to see law and order return to this country. I want to see the death sentence for someone that actually has murdered somebody, proved to murder them, mm. not on scant evidence, mm. absolutely. I want to see the death... I want to see more prisons built. I want to see three times the police force. And I want to see people not getting away with these disgusting crimes. Because we're so lenient on law and order now, there's disrespect for the police force. And don't milk the fact that terrible case recently, terribly sad, yeah. police officer killed that woman. Yeah. Do not look for an excuse to mark all police officers the same. You're hopping on the bandwagon. There's some jolly good bobbies out there who are frustrated. I've worked it out. The next career is politics, isn't it? I want to see law and order. These, these woke people. Please. Get a life. <laughs> you can't say the word bum, you're vulgar. Bum, 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 sue me, I'm loaded. No, we've got to stop this, Nigel. We had hard times. Well, I think you should speak out more of these things, because you clearly I care. I want to get law and order on the road. I want to get... Uh, I tell you what, I tell you what, folks, I think that coming on Talking Pints has launched the next phase of Kim Woodburn's career. She's going to be out there now as a social affairs commentator and she might even enter the political sphere, but we thank her for coming and joining us. Well, when you become, when you become Prime Minister, I'm here for you, dear. You're going to be the first. No yes. question. No question I find you very attractive, you, Oh, dear, dear. oh, dear. We, we right. can work cuts, you and cuts, I. Cuts, cuts. No, 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 I'm a human being, not a robot. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Brilliant. Oh, but I do, I, I believe, get the police force back on its feet. Three times the police officers, many prisons, many cells. Well, Punish these well, rat bags for what they're doing. Right, there you are. There you are. That's it. That's the end of Talking Pines. Thank you so but much. you're going to stay for the next bit, too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, there you are, somebody with passion and conviction and belief, and I like that. And she stayed, because she's going to help me with these questions. It's Barrage the Farage. You send the questions in. I don't see them before. Let's start with John. Nigel, assuming Boris Johnson will never bounce back, is there any Tory MP who you think would make a good PM? I, I think probably the most likely answer to that is it's somebody we haven't even thought of. It's very rarely the front-runner that becomes the leader of the Conservative Party. Margaret Thatcher wasn't given a hope in 1975 and yet came through and won the election. And whether you agree with what she did or not, she would... Now, I think she was a strong leader. Kim, was she a strong leader? I think 
she was became the Prime Minister because she was strong, but I think Margaret Thatcher uh, became a dictator, and that's what killed her. Too long in power, probably. Became a dictator. Yep, too long in power. Yep, top job, eight years, probably about right. Pauline asks, Nigel, do you go to the cinema much, and have you seen the latest 007 film? Do you know... I don't go a lot, but I do, I do enjoy going to the cinema, and I want to go and see the 007 film. I've seen most of the previous ones at the cinema. Have you seen it? I don't like Daniel Craig as James Bond. Don't you? Are you a Sean Connery uh, fan? Well, or? no, I, but he's not like a James Bond, is he? I mean, I like Sean Connery, Roger Moore, Pierce Brosnan, but a little tiny chappy with a rather, rather rough face, you see. And No, no, I'm, no, I'm being serious. He's only up to my here, dear. And I think he, uh, he's a good actor. He is not a James Bond. Right, there we are. No, Alan sorry, on Twitter... No. Uh, no, next one. Alan on Twitter asks, why has it taken a tragedy like today to get the PM's attention focused on this. Look, he's been burying his head in the sand on this subject for the last two years. Occasionally, a journalist might ask a question about it, and he brushes it aside. Perhaps it was always going to take a tragedy to get him to focus on it, which is a sad thing to say, but probably sad. true. I am done. Over and out. I'm back with you tomorrow. <laughs>